There's a uh, fun story about a little girl coming home from Sunday school class um, and um, waving uh, a paper for her mother to look at, for her mother to, to see. Um, she says, look, Mommy, teacher says, I drew the most unusual Christmas picture that she ever saw. Um, her mother took one look at that uh, picture that uh, she had painted, and she had to agree with the, the teacher. Indeed, it was uh, one of the most unusual Christmas pictures that she could have ever um, seen. And so she decided, she asked her daughter ab- about her creation. Mother asked, why are all these people here in, in your painting, in your picture, riding in the back of an airplane? Well, mommy, she said, that's the flight into Egypt. <laughs> Accepting that, her mother said, well, then, well, who is this mean-looking guy here in the front? Her daughter answered quickly um, and knowingly said, well, that's Pontius the pilot. <laughs> and so she looked uh, at the painting a little bit more, the mother did, a little more closely. She says, I see you have Mary and Joseph here in, in, in your painting and the baby, but who's this large man sitting behind Mary? Can't you tell, the little girl said to her mom, shaking her head in disappointment, that's, that, that's round John Virgin. <laughs> uh, Christmas um, is full of all kinds of heartwarming and uh, stories and all kinds of uh, creative pictures, some accurate and others not. During this season, it's normal for us, I think, to think of Jesus as that sweet baby in the manger. Our TV movies, you know, especially those Hallmark movies, (laughs) they uh, tell of winter wonderlands where Christmas uh, evokes uh, just about the best in everybody. Our world wants to proclaim peace, goodwill to men, In fact, hanging up in our living room at our home is a Christmas painting. Uh, It's a wonderful painting. It brings all sorts of heartwarming um, and happiness as I think about that, as I look at that painting, feelings of of warmth and happiness. And if you look closely at that painting, everybody is smiling in that painting. (laughs) After all, it's Christmas, right? And in the church, I think we're similar. Um, we sing, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Our songs are describing this Chris, uh, the Christ child are about him being tender and uh, mild and how he lays down his sweet head and no crying does he make. And all these wonderful images of the divine child. How peaceful, but how mistaken. I mean, we like the bright side of Christmas, the tidings of comfort and joy. But when you dig deeper into this story of Christmas, you will find a story of darkness. And I got to tell you, we better not close our eyes to it. In a world where peace on earth is more hope than reality, we dare not gloss over this episode in the Christmas story. I invite you to turn with me. 
to Matthew chapter 2 this morning. Matthew chapter 2. Now, Matthew, if you're familiar with uh, his gospel, Matthew begins his gospel by giving us this long list of names there in chapter 1. Um, it's uh, Jesus' genealogy going back to Abraham. And then at the end of uh, chapter 1, uh, Matthew gives us Joseph's version of Jesus' birth. And so when we get to chapter 2 here in Matthew's gospel, we are post-Christmas, okay? Jesus has already been born by the time we get to Matthew chapter 2. And Matthew, in describing some of these, these uh, events that surround baby Jesus, what he does is he juxtaposes the Magi with King Herod. Now, you understand, the Magi were not kings. Uh, in fact, there may not have been three of them, like, <laughs> um, you know, our hymns like to tell us. Um, but they were, in any case, um, they were wise. Um, these were men who had come from the Mede-Persian Mede Empire, um, what today is Iran or thereabouts. Um, they were the scholars and, and, and the scientists of their day. They were also the priests of their, their country. They were the, they, they were the in, intelligentsia. Um, they were the best educated and they had the, the finest minds of that day. They were the go-to people in a time of crisis, the Magi were. And like many of the highly educated people and cultures of this day, they had a profound interest in uh, astrology, uh, astronomy, excuse me, in the heavens. They, they watched the stars. They, they, they saw those stars every night, and they were curious about them. And they were amazed at the precise movements uh, that these stars made and the mathematical precision with which they moved. And they honestly began to believe that those stars affected and perhaps determined what happened in the lives of those who lived beneath them. Evidently, one day, you know, they saw an unusual star that was so brilliant um, and so amazing that the only conclusion that they could come up with was that um, the long-prophesied uh, Jewish king had been born. And that star was signifying that. So they left Persia to find that king. One biblical historian suggests that they left Persia in late 3 BC, after Jesus was born. And they arrived in late 2 BC, when Jesus was a toddler. By the time they found the child, Jesus, um, according to Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, his family was already living in a house, Matthew tells us. In the second chapter, Matthew, he also, Matthew also introduces us to um, Herod the king. Um, Herod had been king of Judea for 40 years before Christ was born, and uh, he was known as Herod the Great. Uh, he was, in many ways, um, historians will tell us, uh, uh, deserving of that title, Herod the Great. 
He was one of the greatest builders of all time. Um, not only did he take the temple and its ruins and give it a, a, a tremendous uh, splendor, but he also rebuilt whole cities. And uh, uh, people came from miles around just to look at the architectural wonders that were formed at his command. He was great also because of his, his political abilities. I mean, in a land that was fraught with war and conflict there, he was able to establish you know, at least a kind of a peace. For many years, I mean, there were no wars because Herod the Great was in control of that region. But if there was a flaw in poor Herod, it was that he was jealous. In fact, almost insanely jealous for power and for position. He was king. And he wouldn't share that... uh, uh, power of, or glory with anyone or anything. Um, anyone who got in his way, he would simply eliminate. Uh, his wife, Marianne, rose in popular opinion. She began to assume a level of, of political power and influence that threatened him. And so Herod had his own wife killed. Not long after his mother-in-law began to enjoy some power. (laughs) And so Herod eliminated her as well. As time went on, he had three of his four sons killed because they were threatening his power and his position. And so when the Magi arrive there in Jerusalem and show up and begin asking this question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? (laughs) Herod, uh, his ears perked up. I mean, he was paying attention. The birth of Jesus caused Herod, in fact, Matthew tells us, to be greatly disturbed. And when Herod got upset, (laughs) Jerusalem became upset as well because people could die if Herod is upset. Everyone was uh, on pins and, and needles, The Magi show up at King Herod's door and ask where this king of the Jews has been born. Look with me. I want you to look with me at chapter 2, starting in verse 16. Look what happens. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise man, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he is certain from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. There's the dark story. Magi show up at King Herod's door and ask where this Jewish king has been born. Herod feigning... (laughs) Um, his support sends him off to, to Bethlehem with specific instructions that once they find this little child, they are to return to him with uh, the details, with the exact location and the address where this little child, this little infant could be found. Of course, after finding Jesus and worshiping him and then giving him their gifts, these magi who are warned by God through a dream 
um, not to go back to Herod. What they do is they return to their own country and refuse to go back to Jerusalem. This is where that Christmas story turns dark, right? After realizing the Magi, as we read, had not returned to report to him where this little king of the Jews was, Herod ordered his men to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Now, many have wondered whether this part of the Christmas story is actually true. After all, uh, there's no extra-biblical documentation of uh, Herod's uh, heinous act. But we have to understand something here. Um, Bethlehem was truly a little town (laughs) Um, with a population, according to some commentators, um, between 300 and maybe 1,000 people living there in Bethlehem and its vicinity. So it's within the boundaries, it's within the bounds of possibility that the deaths of the children here, uh, perhaps maybe a dozen or so, according to D.A. Carson, were overshadowed by many of the other atrocities that uh, Herod committed during his turbulent and twisted reign. Why record the slaughter of a few, you know, toddlers when there are many other greater and and worse uh, horrors that had taken place? Matthew, though, records it. And then what Matthew does is he calls on the ghost of Rachel as portrayed by the prophet Jeremiah in his lament for the deported descendants of Israel to express the grief, to express the grief of all the mothers of these little boys who had been slaughtered. Look with me again at verse 18. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. A a mother weeping for her lost children is as bad as it gets in this life, don't you think? It's God's chosen metaphor for the climax of anguish and pain one might experience. Ramah was where the, the, the Jews gathered in the Old Testament. The Jews gathered before they were carried off to Babylon. There, Rachel's weeping gives voice to God's own lament over the loss of his children. Rachel herself died in sorrow as she gave birth to her second son, naming him Ben-Oni, son of my trouble. And she died on the way to Bethlehem, never securing a permanent home. Rachel was not comforted. Rachel's anguish serves as a metaphor for mothers everywhere who face tragic circumstances related to their children. For that matter, for all parents, grandparents. Her lament is the lament for, uh, of all people who have experienced evil in this world that we live in. Think of the mother of the 17-year-old or seven-month-old toddler girl who was severely beaten and, and burned and then killed by the mother's boyfriend here recently, this past October, here in Maplewood, Minnesota. 
Think of the parents of eight-year-old Jackson Sparks, who was one of the six people killed a year ago at the 2021 Waukesha Christmas Parade. Think of the grief and the pain of the mothers of soldiers and, and sailors killed serving their country. And think of uh, mothers who wander dangerous streets looking for wayward children. Think of the pain. Think of a mother bereaved by senseless tragedy. A woman named Vicki Lynn Haycraft wrote a prayer slash poem after her three-year-old son, Benjamin, died suddenly on a playground from a genetic disorder. She wrote this. How can I say all that's in my heart? Did you turn away? You let my boy die. You could have healed. I never said goodbye. So why does God include this dark story of King Herod in his story? I would suggest it's because we need to understand that despite the darkness in our world, there is good news. There is hope. You say, <laughs> Sutton, I mean, where? I mean, Sutton, where is their hope? Where is their good news in this horrific Christmas story? Well, let's start with the reality that Jesus God's son entered into our evil, fallen, dark world. I mean, if God is going to save us, <laughs> he will have to come down, down to where we're at, down to the world we live in, because we can never get up to him. And even though Herod's slaughter is not the kind of Christmas story that we want to hear it may be the Christmas story that we need to hear. Because any God who is unwilling to come to Bethlehem and enter into our world won't do us much good. Oftentimes during the Advent season, we read from John's glorious gospel, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. We love those words. I mean, they're majestic words, right? We call it the incarnation. It's our belief that God Almighty, maker of heaven and, and, and earth, came here and, and took on our flesh and, and forgave us and redeemed us and saved us that we might be, be, be brought to God. Well, this story, I think, in Matthew chapter 2 is Matthew's way of telling us the very same story. John calls it the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. Matthew just calls it Herod. Who here hasn't experienced the pain of a, of a breakup in a relationship? <laughs> I mean, over the years, I tell you, I have uh, uh, counseled with some young people who have fallen in love only to have that relationship, uh, you know, fall apart from their eyes. 
And the question inevitably comes up in those, in those discussions is, is listen, if, this, if, if it's love, if it's true love, why does it have to hurt so much? Why does love have to be so painful? Love ought not to be that way, they suggest. And I have to remind them that real love is always that way. Painful. Because if there is real love, there's going to be a real risk. And if there's a risk, there's always a possibility of failure. There's always a possibility of pain. Today's gospel says Christ came first to Bethlehem to real people living on this real earth. God didn't come to angels. No, God came to us. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, we sing, love came down at Christmas. If love, God's love came down to us where we live into this um, evil, fallen, dark world, <laughs> there's going to be some pain. Yes, and there will be blood as well. Not only did Jesus, God's son, enter our evil, fallen, dark world, but he experienced our evil, fallen, and dark world. Martin Luther used to uh, call it um, God deep in the flesh. <laughs> there is God in the flesh thriving in a placenta protected by a water bag, bouncing on a donkey ride to Bethlehem where his folks had to meet the local IRS. No different than any other baby at that time. While God preferred human nature to the angel angelic, God asked no human favors and got none. When ends are full, they're full. Sleep where one can. God deep in the flesh became God deep in the straw. Mary, the mother of the creator, sustained the one who sustained all the living. <laughs> Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, is not distant from our suffering. He experienced our human pain. The blisters from all the walking, the hurt feelings when, when, when people laugh at you, um, uh, the ache of a good friend betraying him, the, the weeping when best friends die. He feels our human pain as deeply as we do. He knows it personally. He can relate to a broken and wounded people in this evil world. This, I got to tell you, this dark story offers a deeper consolation than any reasoned argument. <laughs> it tells us that God truly understands because he experienced the evil in this world. Have you ever wondered... <laughs> maybe like I have, why if God could send an angel to warn Mary and Joseph to flee, why he didn't send angels to the other parents of Bethlehem? If Jesus escaped, why did all those other babies have to die? 
For that matter, if God ever intervenes to deliver, why doesn't he deliver my loved ones? <laughs> I mean, we can wonder why God does what he does and doesn't do, why he doesn't do what he doesn't do. But I got to tell you, it's, it's worth noting as we read this dark Christmas story that God didn't really spare his son. Because Jesus was rescued from Herod only to be crucified under Pontius Pilate. In Bethlehem, God's son had a narrow escape, but on Golgotha, he died so the rest of us might escape. And that's the best news of all, I got to tell you. (laughs) That's the greatest news of all. Jesus, God's son, came to redeem our evil fallen dark world. Jesus didn't escape the evil. He paid for the evil. Jesus lived through that brutal night of Herod's slaughter to be brutalized on the cross. Then he suffered the worst that a world can do to us, redeeming suffering, assuring us that that even in the darkest moments, God is working for our good. There he suffered his father's Wrath against sin, suffering for what we should have suffered by dealing decisively with our sin. He began an age-long reversal of the curse, undoing sin and death and weeping. And that, that is truly good news. (laughs) If you go back in the Old Testament, you look back at uh, uh, Jeremiah Uh, the verse in Jeremiah that Matthew here quotes, you'll see that that verse is the only sad note in an otherwise hope-filled sermon. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. But Jeremiah goes on and says, God hears Rachel. God cares about Rachel's grief. And God intends to do something about it. Tidings of comfort and joy. God will come to the rescue of his people. Jeremiah, just right after this verse, he says, Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. Not there, there, everything will be, you know, all right. But no, he says, there is hope for your future because I, the sovereign one, will make things right. That's the promise. Matthew, Matthew knows that the time foretold by Jeremiah's prophecy has come. Remember, Matthew writes in light of not only Christmas, but also in light of Christ's death and resurrection. He knows not only Christmas, but Good Friday and Easter too. He knows that the babe in Bethlehem, um, that in that babe in Bethlehem, God is working for the salvation of all the babes of Bethlehem and for everyone else. Jesus God's son came to this evil, fallen, dark world to redeem it. 
That's the hope that we have. That's the good news. They call it the Born Again Beach. There's a beach, uh, an Irish beach, that disappeared more than uh, 30 years ago and has returned to an island off of County Mayo Coast. The island, uh, the sand at Duha Akel Island was washed away by storms back in 1984, leaving only rocks and rock pools. But after a freak tide around Easter of 2017, Hundreds of tons of sand were deposited around that area where that beach once stood, recreating the old 300-meter stretch of golden sand. Local people are using the word miraculous to describe the beach's sudden renewal. <laughs> An official from the area's tourism board explained why pilgrims are flocking uh, to the site. He says... We live in a dark world these days, so I think that's why there's so much interest in the Duha Beach since the story broke. For something like our beach to come back, it gives people hope. <laughs> Friends, we, we do live in a dark world. But rather than putting our hope in a born against a beach, it's the Christmas story that should give us such hope. Maybe God knows someone here this morning, either online or here in the sanctuary itself, that needs to hear the words of Jeremiah. And Matthew's use of those words. <laughs> Grief is real, but it's not ultimate. Rachel will be comforted. Loss is keen. But it will not have the last word. Weeping will turn to joy. Matthew is honest about the dark side of Christmas, but the dark side is not the whole story, nor is it the most important part of the story. Christmas reminds us that God is with us. That he is with us in Christ today. He is with us no matter what comes. He is with us when we laugh. He is with us when we cry. He is with us when we celebrate. He is with us when we suffer. He is with us all the way to the end of the story. That's the end of the story. Jesus win, wins. Herod loses. Justice prevail. Evil is vanquished. Friends, that's good news. That's good news. The only good news, really, that can console the Rachels of this world and the rest of us as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for the honesty of your word. Honesty of your word talks about this dark story, but in the midst of that dark story, Lord, we thank you for the hope that you bring. Despite Rachel's weeping and grief, that God, there is comfort and joy. That God, you win in the end. Lord, might we 
rest in that truth this morning. Might we rest in that truth during this Christmas season. In your son's precious and holy name, amen.